This episode is brought to you by Kitcaster. Kitcaster books you on top podcasts. How do funded startup founders attract prospects and talent? Podcast interviews. How do entrepreneurs with exits find new deals? Podcast interviews. How do C-suite execs differentiate in crowded markets? Podcast interviews. Kitcaster books you on top podcasts. Click the link in the show notes for a special offer. Celebrate good conversation. You are listening to the Dream Big and Kick-Ass Podcast. I'm Mandy, your host, and I'm so glad you're here. If you believe life is too short to be caught up in insecurities, fear, and feeling defeated, then let's hang out in the Dream Big and Kick-Ass Podcast. If you've been enjoying this podcast and you'd like to help keep it going, then there's a support the show link at the bottom of the show notes. It's buymeacoffee.com slash Mandy Sawyer, where you can donate as little as five bucks or as much as you want. I know that this podcast has been inspirational to people, so how cool would it be if you could help that to continue? Not only that, I would be super appreciative of your support. Hey everybody, I'm so excited for you to be here with us today. I have my friend Casey Hibden with us. She and I taught together at um, a middle school a couple years back, and she's here to just talk a little bit about teaching in in the pandemic, so Casey, why don't you give them a little bit about yourself? All right. Uh, first, hello. Thanks for having me. So happy to see you today, talk to you. Um, I am in my fourth year of teaching ever. Uh, I teach sixth grade English. Uh, prior to teaching, I worked in a lot of different fields, so um, came to teaching from a non-traditional route. Um, I studied mass communications for my undergrad at Northwestern Oklahoma State University, and then uh, got my master's in business administration at Southern Nazarene University. So that's a little bit about um, my educational life. I am a happily single, crazy dog lady. If it's remotely nerdy, I probably like it. So that's great. So yeah, I was a doggy mommy um, for nine years. And so I, and I really thought that I would end up being like the crazy dog lady too. So I I can, I can relate to that a little bit. I don't have her any longer, but I miss her so much. They're just really special and they just, I don't know if you're, if you're a dog person, then you, you get it. And they just, I don't know, they do so much. They're just, they have such a thankless, I don't know, existence. Like I could talk about dogs for the rest of forever, but that's not what you signed up for. But um, (laughs) they're just so amazing. They're they're just the epitome of of love and grace. And I just adore them. Yes. Okay. So let's backtrack just a little bit when you were talking about your former jobs that you've had. Yes. Um, Talk a little bit about those. Okay. So (laughs) I've worked in so many random places, but after college, I guess um, I spent some time as a staff writer for a daily newspaper in Texas. Um, I've worked in corporate communications and PR for a local nonprofit. I've worked for an educational foundation, for a sleep medicine facility, for an OBGYN. <laughs> I've just done a little bit of everything. Cool. So. What was um, your favorite, Any anything that stands out to you that you really, really liked in any of those? So, oh, I liked a few things about all of them, but honestly, if I had to pick like my other favorite job ever besides teaching, when I first came to teaching, I was working part-time at the Oklahoma City Zoo. 
Yeah. Uh, and so that is just it only barely doesn't beat teaching, if that makes sense. Like teaching is wonderful and I love it so much. Yeah. But if I could like split myself in two and go to both jobs every day, I definitely would. That's cool. What was your favorite thing about the zoo? Well, I love to get to be outside. You know, when I first started working there, I during the week worked for um, an education foundation. So I sat at a computer and it was just me and one other lady in this office. And so it was just such a nice change of pace to get to be outside, get to kind of interact with people and kind of help them um, just learn more about animals, conservation, but also just help them get excited about the awesome privilege that it is to get to see and experience all those different species of animals. So I've considered applying at the zoo every now and then. Honestly, um, I, I, I might go back. <laughs> you honestly what? I said I might go back. The only reason I don't still work there is because of the way that their hours work and school hours work is I was working like seven days a week and it was just a lot yeah. toward the yeah, end. Yeah, I there. do remember when you were like working Sundays and stuff like that and, and then and teaching too and that was hard. Well, let's talk about teaching in the pandemic. Describe what it was like for you getting ready for this school year. How does it compare and con- contrast with other school years? Um, so this school year was definitely understandably so completely bizarre. Normally I am kind of ready for some rest and some downtime when, when a school year ends. So I usually try not to think about school at all, like during the month of June, but usually by like right after the July 4th holiday, I'm like itching to start making plans, even if it's just kind of mentally kind of making some checklists and stuff. Uh, and this year I really just drug my feet, honestly. I just wasn't excited. And I think that can just be attributed to the fact that there was so much that we didn't know. And and so it was hard to make plans, hard to get excited about stuff because we just didn't know what anything was going to look like. And we were kind of waiting on cues from district leaders and they, yeah. and they were sort of waiting to see kind of what the situation would be, what the options were, kind of what other like comparably sized districts were doing. And so it was very much like a last minute sort of okay, now I'm excited about school. Whereas it's normally not like that. Normally I'm like, it's going to be the first day of school. Like I'm just like the dorky, just yeah. the biggest dork about it, honestly. I get so excited. I can't sleep the night before. Um, yeah. But this year, this year's just been so different in, in so many ways. And it was really hard to get motivated and, and get jazzed about that. Not not necessarily because of like learning new technology or stuff like that, because I, I enjoy like figuring that stuff out. We have the time, but it was just not not having some kind of idea of what was going to be expected and, and what it was going to look like. That was really, yeah. really tough. That, that, that's really a difficult thing whenever you don't know what the expectations are, because like, if you're like me and I know you are in this respect is like, whatever your expectations are fine. Let me know what they are. And I will, I will jump through the hoops and exactly. get it done. Right. And, uh, and I think so many teachers are like that. Like we are, usually the type of person for whatever reason that we're just, we'll find a way to figure it out. Like we will reinvent it the night before whatever needs to be done, but we just have to know those parameters um, that we have to exist within. And, and it's honestly a good, a good style of teaching. This is such a random segue, but like I always make sure that my students know exactly what the expectations are in my classroom because I am a person that likes to know what's expected and, and what all the pieces are on the board so that I can plan yeah. accordingly. Um, and so that to me just sort of brings peace of mind and 
And so any stress and kind of anxiety building up for this year really stemmed from just the unknown of it all. Right. So what is it like, because you're not a virtual school, but what is it like going from regular classroom to virtual when you were not not really signed up for that? When you know, What are the pros and the cons of that? So honestly, like as far as not having not signed up for it, for whatever reason, that just really didn't bother me. I think it's easy to get upset and get kind of emotional, for lack of a better explanation, about, you know, this is what I thought I was coming into. And in fact, it's this totally different thing. For whatever reason, that part of it didn't really didn't really rub me the wrong way. But the actual kind of muddling through the figuring out how to teach virtually, I feel I feel kind of fortunate because I, um, you know, we, as you know, we are one to one with devices in our right. building. Um, and so at least for the older kids, they were already comfortable with using yeah, iPads right. and working in that way. And a lot of our sixth graders coming in, even if they weren't one-to-one at elementary school, they have been exposed to it. They know a little bit about how to use it. Um, and because of that, many of us as teachers were comfortable and familiar with the learning management system that we use, some other um, learning apps that that are advantageous. I honestly just want to take a minute and shout out to the teachers who Teaching today looks zero like it did for them when they were in college learning about teaching um, right. and just sort of rolling up their sleeves and rolling with it and just figuring it out, like watching YouTube tutorials. Because um, certainly if you are like a veteran teacher at this point, I'm sure it would have been easy to be like, nah, I've learned enough new stuff. I'm good. And I'm yeah. sure there are people out there that that had that attitude. But so many people in our particular building were just so great about being like, okay, well, this is a lot. It's intimidating, but I'm going to figure it out. And one thing that I think that not enough maybe light has been shed upon is the fact that teachers, I think this year more than ever, were so collaborative as opposed to competitive um, and That's so good. just willing to help each other. The thing that really troubles me about virtual learning, apart from just not having that, you know, face-to-face interaction with the kiddos, is just that it's not equitable um, and it's not sustainable in the way that we're doing it. And and a large, a big contributing factor to that is just the fact that not every kid has um, access to Wi-Fi, to that connectivity. So it doesn't really matter if we've sent them home with a device, if they don't have that connectivity, it's essentially a paperweight. Um, exactly. You know, yeah. and and for some of my students, I'm really seeing them thrive. You know, they are naturally curious, naturally independent learners, and they're this is working well for them. They can mm-hmm. get up when they want. They can do the assignment when they want. They can really embrace that kind of asynchronous style. Um, but some students are not ready for that. They need that yeah. extra kind of handholding. They need that encouragement and that support, and they're just not able to get it in this way. I know that in some districts, they were able to give instruction live via Zoom or Google Meet or something to that degree. Um, we were encouraged not to do that. Uh, and so so really no actual like interfacing with students at all as far as when wow. we're going through and teaching concepts. And so that was really tough. We were, you know, at the beginning thinking, oh, well, we don't want to put too much on them, you know, don't want to overwhelm them or overwhelm their grownups at home. Um, and then it was like, oh no, they don't have enough to do. Give them way more. Okay. Well, then we would shift gears. And then you have other kids that who maybe they do have internet at home, but like the speed is not even high enough to play a video of us instructing them and and telling them how to do something. And so there's just so many different, different struggles and different scenarios to contend with. I have a student whose wonderful mother 
would drive him to a parking lot of a fast food restaurant after she worked all day so that he could use their Wi-Fi until they were able to get it at home. Wow. Um, Just so that he could keep up with his his work. And, you know, so I know that it's so frustrating for parents, for teachers, for students, but people are just trying so hard and, and doing their best with it. And so I hope that those are the things that are remembered about this time if we ever get to put it in the rearview mirror. Um, I hope that people will re- rem- will remember that, you know, kids have been so just resilient and they've just rolled with it so well, even when they have those kind of challenges or maybe they have multiple siblings at home and not enough signal or parents yeah. thought maybe they could get through like with a cellular hotspot or something. So right. anyway, that was so much more of a long answer than you wanted, but totally fine. I could talk about this subject forever, obviously. Forever. Yes, because we're teachers and we that's what we do. We talk about education. You mentioned not being able to do like any Zoom lives or whatever with, with kiddos, which right. last year I did a, I worked at a virtual school and even when it was a virtual school and they knew that they were going to do things online, you know, with the teacher, it was still a struggle to get them to show up for those lives. Right. And I'm just wondering, is that the reason? What other kind of reasons were there that they asked you guys not to do that? So I, I believe that their thought process was, you know, our students come from all different levels of uh, socioeconomically, um, and, and you may have students who are not comfortable with their classmates seeing where they live. Yes, um, or maybe their parents are not. So I think, I think that drove the decision, at least initially. And honestly, to begin with, I was somewhat relieved that we weren't going to be doing that just because I didn't. Yeah. I didn't know anything about Zoom apart from using it for like faculty meetings in the spring when we didn't return. I had never tried it out as far as instruction. And so, you know, with any new thing, you want to try to figure out a little bit about it before you just throw yourself to the the wolves. Um, And so, so I was a little relieved at first, but then it was just very apparent very early on that, you know, we needed something to sort of get them interested, get them involved. I mean, I genuinely had... Right. Yeah. I genuinely had some students who I never heard or saw from them again after they picked up their device, you know, and like we're calling home every week and we're talking to parents and, but you know, if both parents are working and they have to be gone during the day and if they're not familiar with those learning management systems, then they don't, you know, if kids says, yeah, yeah, I did all my work. They don't have reason not to, you you know, they don't have reason to doubt that. So, but I do think that. I think every parent should doubt that though. Right, right. (laughs) But I mean, you know. They're going to tell you. Let me just, sorry. Let me just do a sidebar right now. Sidebar right now. Parents, I love you. Public service announcement. I know you love your, your children and I know you don't think that they would ever misguide you or give you misinformation. However. I have taught teenagers and preteens for over for t- 15 years. They're very crafty. And they will tell you the tiniest bit of information that they, that they'll tell you whatever you want to hear. There might be a and, seed of truth in there. They yeah, may have opened up all of it. They yeah. may have turned in a blank document. So, so I've even had students that have like opened up the learning management system. Oh yeah. See, it says turned in on all these things. Yeah. So then I'm talking to, you know, their grownups on the phone. I'm like, well, they did technically hit the turn in button. But they did no- not, they just actually did not do any of the work. There's nothing there for me to, to, to grade right. or to review or to even try to figure out if they understand the concepts. Right. So I started not, not doing, not giving instruction in the live that Google meets 
later on in the first quarter, but at least having kind of some check-ins where they Mm -hmm. could come in. Um, Honestly, as much for them to have some face-to-face communication with myself and other classmates as it was to like clear up any misconceptions. But I found very early on that I could ask them outright, hey, what do you need help with? And it reminded me of something that Mandy Deason said in my first year of teaching that was so simple, but so profound. She used to say, they don't know what they don't know. Mm -hmm. Um, And that sounds just so simple, but it's such a big, big thing. They can't articulate to you the stuff that they don't understand because they're not aware of it on that level. And so even though we were having those check-ins and they would come and they would say hi, I mean, I could outright ask, hey, uh, you, you turned in such and such assignment and it looks like maybe you don't understand the concept. Do you want me to go over it again? Oh, no, I know. I am I got it. I'm good. So, all right. <laughs> and I think that's the hardest thing as far as the actual teaching is that at least if they're here in person, I mean, it sounds silly, but like you can tell with most kids on their face pretty immediately yeah. if they just stepped into this classroom mentally for the first time this year or if yeah. they're like with it and they, they're kind of in step with you. So. Right. Yeah. It definitely makes a difference whenever you can see them face to face and see see them every day and how they progress, or, you know, don't progress or whatever. Right. So it definitely makes a huge difference. So what do you like the most about teaching just in general? And then what do you like the least? I like so many things about teaching. Part of the reason that I had so many different jobs <laughs> and <laughs> before this is because um, I would get into something that I thought was interesting and Maybe it would be interesting for a while, but basically like I would get to a point where I had kind of figured it all out and either I was able to kind of grow that position or move into another one from that. You know what I mean? So like there's just, you get to a point with a lot of things where you just, it becomes monotonous, honestly. Um, and, And so one of my favorite things apart from just the interaction with the students is that no day of teaching is the same. And I, I consider myself a lifelong learner. I love to learn new things and figure stuff out. Um, And so it's very intriguing to me that, that even, you know, don't get me wrong. It's aggravating sometimes too, (laughs) Um, but it's very intriguing that, you know, what worked in first hour might be a total disaster in fourth hour or what worked with last year's group of kids might have to be a whole yeah, a whole different thing. And so just there's so many different dynamics and so much going on that it's just, it's, it's never dull. It's always so interesting. And so that to me makes it, makes it worth it. That and the interaction with the kids is worth all of the red tape and the shenanigans and the things that, you know, I mean, nothing about the actual act of teaching and getting to be with students is bad, in my opinion. Is it challenging some days? Absolutely. You know, I was listening to one of your other episodes of your podcast earlier today, and you were talking about how, uh, about like getting upset because Mm -hmm. of students. And, you know, it is, it is really tough mentally and emotionally sometimes, but it's also, you know, sort of fills you back up. You know what I mean? It, it, it takes from you some days, it gives to you other days. And so it's never those aspects of, of teaching to me that are frustrating. It's the, the other end of things, right? It's the meetings about meetings or the, Hey, we're going to cut this funding, but at the same time, we're going to give you 17 more jobs to do. And Oh, by the way, we're going to cut 10 minutes out of your class period. You know what I mean? And those are hypothetical, obviously. Um, But just those Mm -hmm. are the things that make it, make it challenging that and just, you know, state testing. About to say, and by golly, those test scores better be up. (laughs) Yes. I just, I mean, I have so many feelings about, about state testing. I'm pretty sure we could do an entire 
not just episode, but podcast about what we think about state testing. I just want someone to answer for me at some point would be nice. Why we want to give a standardized test while at the same time we want to tailor and mm-hmm. cater to the individual learning styles of every styles. student. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. Just standardized test. Number one, it doesn't test everything they know. Number no. two, we are modifying assignments for certain students or we're modifying our teaching or we're making sure that we're hitting all modalities. Right. Um, and then giving them a standardized test. I'm sorry. Right. Doesn't, it's it doesn't it doesn't compute. And honestly, it's not the interruption to instruction. It's not the inconvenience or the rigmarole of it all. It's the look on a student's face when you know that they have worked so hard and they've invested so much and they've engaged in everything you could possibly think of to prepare them for this. And then just the anxiety and the pressure and the sort of beating themselves up about it. And that's obviously that's before they even know their result. You know what I mean? It's just that style of testing is just so intimidating to them. And that's the part that I get a little mama bear about. And it makes me a little, a little angry. (laughs) And there's two things that come to mind whenever you say all that. Uh, One is that whenever I have students that are second language learners, yes, I remember very vividly first or second year teaching, I had to hand this student, well, all of them, this benchmark of this reading test that, and the passages were like two pages long. This child did not know English and he literally physically sank down, like slid down in his chair when I had to give it to him. And I was saying, lo siento, lo siento. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Just do your, you know, I'm sorry. Cause there's no way he could do his best on that because he can't, there's, you know, there's a language barrier. It doesn't, it has nothing to do with his intelligence, has nothing to do with his skills and his abilities. It had everything to do with just a language barrier, but I was forced to give him this test and it's so wrong. Yeah, no, it's, it's very frustrating because, you know, it's not in that situation. There's no possible way for that child to succeed. And no. that's that feeling that, you know, that they're getting in that moment is not conducive to personal growth. It's not conducive to just, it's just not great. I mean, I think it's very important that students struggle to some degree. I think it's, they they don't have enough opportunities a lot of times to have to figure stuff out. And to me, that's such a critical life skill, you know, just to have the curiosity or the wherewithal, whatever, to just be like, all right, well, this is a hot mess. I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm going to ask for help or I'm going to research it or I'm going to whatever. It's not, but it's not that kind of struggle. It's, you know, here's this thing, this impossible task. You need all of these tools to be able to complete it, but we're not going to give you any of those. Right. You know, and it's just, it's so, so frustrating because, and again, I also feel very strongly about my English language learners and just for some of them, the stuff they've had to contend with before they even make it to our classroom is so tremendous. And so for them, you know, and and some of them, we don't know what their educational background was in their native country. Right. You know, maybe it, it took it them not. the last, right. Maybe it took them the last two years to, to get here. So, yeah. you know what I mean? Or maybe they weren't you know, maybe they're not literate in their, in their native language. There's just so many, right. right, There's so many sort of different, thank you variables. I could not place the word that have to be considered. And so nothing about that to me aligns with a standardized test at all. No, it's infuriating to me. I I could get like so fired up. Okay. Same girl. (laughs) Yeah. Here's something that I felt 
for a lot of years in teaching. Well, probably all of them. I felt so confined and so... Um, restricted? Restricted. There we go. Thank you for that word. You're welcome. Very restricted. And it goes along, you know, kind of with what we're saying anyway, what we're talking about, even just with standardized tests or our language learners. But I want to ask you, have you ever felt like your creativity, your own personal creativity has been squashed and then that affecting your students as well and their creativity um, what, what are your thoughts about that and what is your experience and so do you know what I mean I do know what you mean definitely I think that again I did not come to teaching in the traditional way and right. so um it, especially in my first year or even two years sorry I'm looking for this quote that I feel is very appropriate about okay. what we're talking about awesome. while I, I tell you this but I, I think especially in that first year not having you know any experience obviously I was wanting so much to follow the curriculum map and do exactly what they said to do and kind of once you've lived it at least once you know what I mean then you start to realize well this doesn't necessarily make the most sense the way nope. this is organized at least not for my students you know and and I by no means am I trying to, you know, criticize the people that that set those things up, but it's just every school building is different and every classroom is different and every set of students' needs are different. Yeah. And so to me, the biggest issue in the average classroom is that the teacher does not have enough personal autonomy to make those those decisions that that are best to serve their students. Right. You know, my my first hour might just totally run with whatever today's learning standard is. And we can move right on to the next one tomorrow. But my third hour might need four or five days on that. Right. You know, and the way exactly. that things are structured, it's not, it's not realistic. Not to expect, right. Yeah. To expect to be able to, to do that. And so um, to me that that's been a real growing experience, if that makes sense. Um, just sort of living through it enough to build the experience, to know, when it's okay to to veer from those right. plans and and when it's when it's important to do it you know yeah. when it when it really matters for the sake of the kids because at the end of the day whatever other reasons they want to tell us you know this state test or this requirement or that at the end of the day I'm here to do what's best for kids exactly and that's, that's not always what yeah. what they tell me to do you know they do it in lip service oh yeah it's all about the children but it's it's really not right it's, it's really not so okay it's this really about this the is numbers and the money and all that. Um, I'm sorry to say no, that. No, no, you're, you're <laughs> yes. Well, it is. I mean, you know, think about how much. Well, I don't want to get back into state testing, okay. but you know, there's just a lot of other motivating yes. factors that are far removed from a child's <laughs> instruction in the classroom. Um, exactly. So I am reading and actually rereading "Teach Like a Pirate" by uh -huh. Dave Burgess right now. So I don't know if you've awesome. ever read it, but I'm taking a, a class right now as part of completing my alternative certification and moving uh -huh. on to my standard certificate. Um, and so I'm taking a class called secondary teaching methods and it's wonderful and I love it. And yeah. as I said, I like to learn. So I'm all like, yay, school. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> we are using this book and he has a quote and it says too often school is a place where creativity is systematically killed. Individuality is stamped out and boredom reigns supreme. There are really only two possibilities. Either your class can be a reprieve from all of that, or it can be a contributing factor. And that yeah. just punched me in the face, honestly, like in a great way. Though. Like, yeah. You know, because that has to be, that has to be the goal, right? We don't just want to be another, another stop on their tour of boredom and tour of, you know, <laughs> whatever. I, like I mean, you know, and, and, and really, especially for our kiddos that maybe have like a more challenging home life, maybe, maybe school is the most stable 
consistent part of their life. Like, shouldn't it be a place they're excited to go? Yeah, exactly. Along those lines, have you watched Sir Ken Robinson's uh, TED Talk? It's called Do Schools Kill Creativity? Have you ever seen that? I want to say that I have. You probably have at some point, but go it back and watch so it It sounds so familiar. Okay. I'm, yes. okay. Yeah. He just, he passed away just a few months ago, I think, just in this last year. Yes. And I was I so sad about right. that. But yeah. And I've watched more of his talks and stuff like that, but that's the one that stood out to me. That's always stood out to me the most. So give that a listen whenever you get a chance. I will. I love, I love a good TED talk. Yes, me too. You may have touched on some of this before, but what have you learned in your career that would be helpful to to listeners and to other teachers? Like what to do, what not to do, those kinds of things, especially if they're a new teacher and and alternatively certified, those kinds of things. So specific to teaching, not necessarily to other careers, I guess, but probably the two biggest things that I can stress. One is to just build those relationships and that trust with your students first. It's just so important. And they they need to know that they are safe. And I don't mean like like safe from danger necessarily. I mean, it's it's a safe place for them to take educational risks. It's okay for them to be wrong. And it's okay to uh, challenge you as the teacher and and right. be honest with you about their their questions or their feelings about something. And and I think it's also really important for us to be as honest as we can with them. Like, don't get me wrong. I don't come in here and share all of my personal business with my student. But, you know, for example, my first year of teaching was the year of the teacher walkout. You know, and yes. kids, oh, yeah. we were having these, you know, days leading up to that where we were, we, ha- we hadn't been back from spring break for very long. Um, and, you know, right. kids were like, like when we left. Or yeah. We yeah. And, and kids were like, what's going to happen? And, and I mean, some school of thought was like, oh, just pretend everything's normal. Don't say anything to the kids, yada, yada. And, and I don't, I didn't like get into the, like you know, either. soapbox of it or anything, but I was like, look, I'm going to be real honest with you. I don't, I don't know what's going to happen. Maybe we're out for however, I think we had like a standard three days at first or something that they that the district like decided. And then, you know, I was like, maybe we'll be back after these days. Maybe it will be longer. I, you know, I will keep in touch with you on, on our learning management system and kind of go from there. Cause I just, you know, it's, I think it's important for kids to understand that adults don't know everything and don't have it all figured out. Because I think in trying to make kids so successful, sometimes we unintentionally give them this really deep, deep sense of dread about failure. And I don't know about you, but I learned so much more from failing at things than I ever do it, like, you know, being successful. And so to me, it's really important to build those relationships with your students and, and be honest with them when you can. The other thing I would say is just to not take it personally. And what I mean by that is kids are going to come into your classroom and they're going to have a whole mess of other stuff going on in their life, stuff that maybe you by your by your time as a young adult have never had to experience. They've experienced all those things by the time they're 10 and 12 years old. Right. Um, so they just carry a lot with them. And sometimes, especially if they haven't been taught how to properly deal with that, they will roll up into your classroom with some big feelings. And they, yeah. those will be misdirected sometimes. And, and I think the best thing that you can remember is that it's not about you. Yeah. I mean, it, and it's hard to remember that in the moment. And sometimes I have it to. It is difficult. I mean, there yeah. are plenty of times I was Sometimes not, I, yeah, I have to, I have to tell well. a kid, you know, step outside, take a break in the hallway. And I don't let myself go out there to talk to them until I have kind of reined my own emotions in about it. Because it is very easy to jump to the defensive and be, and feel attacked. But at the end of the day, they're a kid. You know what I mean? Like they are. Right. They're little, they have these giant feelings, they don't know how to process, they've got 99% of the time something else that they're upset about, 
you know, not that you told them to write their name on their paper or whatever the case might have been. <laughs> right. You know, they just, they have a lot, they have a lot going on as we yeah. all do. <laughs> it's true. Good stuff, Casey. Okay. So let's talk about who or what motivates you and, and inspires you. Like what fills you up and brings you joy. You already talked about how you love teaching. So that's, that's probably one thing, but is there anything else that you'd like to add to that? Let me think about that for a second. Okay. So I, I love to learn new things and not necessarily just like general knowledge, but I'm always trying to teach myself how to do something, whether it be like yeah. something around the house or, you know, a new hobby. I've been trying to teach myself to knit for like, honestly, three years. Oh, cool. It's not going well. I need help. Send send help. I can crochet. <laughs> I just can't knit. So I know so many people that can crochet. Obviously, I just need to like come over to that side of things because... <laughs> Because I don't know. I mean, my my sister-in-law can knit, but she lives in Colorado now. And so, I mean, I don't know. Maybe we can have some Zoom tutorials. I know. (laughs) I can honestly, I can get like the yarn on the needle. It's when I have to go to the next row or like cast off is what it's called. Uh-huh. It all goes to crap, honestly. It's just a hot oh, mess. Cast, cast um, but so, yeah, I like I like to learn new things. I like to – I don't know. I, this is so weird and random, but I really am very interested in a more, like, minimalistic lifestyle. So not necessarily, like, getting rid of everything but, like, five outfits. Not that extreme. That would be nice, but we live in Oklahoma, and I need – we have more you seasons. You have, to have that, all the seasons. So. Um, everything but, you know, just, just sort of like not not putting too much stock in in materialistic stuff. Like, yeah. do, you know, do you know what I'm saying? I feel like I'm yeah, not articulating myself very well. But but just kind of focusing on the, the things that are more meaningful in life and kind of, I don't know, just. What really matters. What yeah, really yeah. Matters. And I just think it's so important for us to continue to kind of self-reflect because there's so many opportunities for for growth and for experience and for knowledge and just to be a good human and put kind of good stuff back into the universe uh, in this very brief amount of time that we're permitted to be here. So I just think that that is a privilege and one that we should take advantage of. Yeah. I went real deep with that. Sorry. I like it. I like it. So what advice would you give to your younger self? Um, so I love this question. So thank you for that. But I I would definitely tell my younger self to to just have more faith in herself or more more confidence. I think as especially as young women, we can be so consumed by self-doubt and what I like to call the shoulds. Uh, You know, you should study this, you should be married by this age, or you should have this many kids by this time, or you should carry this purse or have this handbag or, you know what I'm saying? And so I think, I think just having, I I would just want her to believe more in herself and, and what she, what she was capable of. I think especially for, for women, a lot of times when people compliment us, it's more about physical attributes or, you know what I'm saying? It's, it's not as often, I'm so not explaining this well, but basically I think that all girls need to be told more (laughs) about how, about their intelligence and praised for their determination and their, you know, attributes and their their skills that are not, not superficial. Not that those are not great to compliment for people as well, but um, I just think that so many women don't realize till maybe their thirties, honestly, what what powerful beings they are and and what they're capable of and so I would like to see that certainly for my younger self but also just for ladies in general yeah and and gentlemen and gentlemen too we don't discriminate we don't discriminate let's all just realize and embrace awesomeness there we go 
Yes, that we are all very awesome. We're all very unique. We're all important. We're all right, and everybody has something to contribute. Like they don't have to be. They don't have to be the same things. And your, you know, awesomeness is not the same as mine. Is not the same as hers. It's not the same as his. And I honestly think that's great. Yeah, I mean, why would you want a bunch of you know robots that are the same? That would be so very boring. That never works out well in the sci-fi movies. Honestly, it does not. It does not. You doesn't make for a happy ending. Okay, so let's talk about what are your favorite books or podcasts? Oh, so many. Um, my very favorite book series of all time is Harry Potter. Yes. I, we don't have enough time to talk about my love of Harry <laughs> Potter. That's all I'm going to say on the matter. Um, but so that's my favorite like series of all time. And I also really enjoy, there's a British author by the name of Jane Green. And she writes more of, I guess, what maybe people would consider like a beach read or something. So lighter kind of stories, but still somehow she manages to make them very poignant and very um, just just meaningful. And my, honestly, my favorite thing about her is that every book I've ever read of hers, even if it's like a more serious subject matter, there is at least one point during the book where I just laugh out loud because <laughs> I just love British humor and I just think it's so witty and so dry and just in your face, like deal with it. Here it is. And I just yeah. absolutely love that. And so those are probably two of my favorites. I, I honestly read the weirdest stuff anymore. Um, I read like random self-help books about problems I don't have. And <laughs> <laughs> I'm serious. I, it's fascinating to me. And I'm on this kick right now where I'll I'll like randomly read some books that are in my students' library in an attempt yeah. to sort of like connect with them and, you know, try to motivate them to to read them. Right. Um, I can't bring myself to read Dogman. I'm just not into it. But they, they're already into that, those books, so they don't need my help with that. But so, yeah, really kind of all kinds of books. I kind of go through like a, a phase with podcasts. Like I will listen to them nonstop and then I might not listen to one again for like three or four months. So it just, uh-huh. but, um, I like the well, office ladies. Being consistent with this one, I know I, I'm going to, I'm going to tune into this one on the regular now, but okay. before this, yeah. I like office ladies, but I've, I've only just recently started listening to it. I have a deep, possibly unhealthy love of the office. I've seen it four times all the way through. I and somebody else has mentioned that to me. It's the, the office great. ladies podcast. Yeah, it was it was Lindy on your podcast. Oh, okay. Yeah. I was like, that sounds familiar to yeah. me. It's really cool because, like, you. I'm gonna have like, to introduce the two of you. Yeah, I, I know. I I'm telling you, I was listening to it. and I was like, we're the same. We could be friends. <laughs> we both like nerd stuff. Awesome. Um, so I really like that one. Uh, Chris Hardwick does one that used to be called the Nerdist Podcast, but that's a whole separate like entity that he created and sold off, and so now it's called the ID10T. It looks like idiot. I don't know. But he calls okay. it the ID10T, ID10T podcast. And I just really like his interview style because it is very conversational, which I think is one of the most appealing things about podcasts is you yeah. feel like you're sort of like a privileged fly on the wall kind of in a conversation. Cool. And so I love he interviews such a wide range of people. Like one time, for example, he was interviewing this guy who played the character Glenn on The Walking Dead. And Obviously, it started out talking about the show and like a big storyline that was going on at that time, but it ended up veering off into um, his experience as a young Korean immigrant to America and kind of how he was treated both by his schoolmates and just how things his parents struggled with. And so it just you never kind of know where the conversation will go. And so it's just really interesting. And then I I love Doctor Who. Yeah, love, love love Doctor Who, and David Tennant was the tenth Doctor on Doctor Who, and he is also just a tremendous actor. He's a Scottish um, actor. He was in this show on HBO with Jennifer Garner called 
camping or something like that. Anyway, he's good. You would know him if you saw him. He was the bad guy in Jessica Jones um, on Netflix if you're into that. But anyway, he does a podcast and it's just called David Tennant does a podcast with, which is so random, but um, <laughs> but also very him. Uh, yeah. So I really like that because I like to – I just like to listen to him talk anyway. But So I like those two. Sometimes if I feel like I need to get my financial life together, which is probably always, I listen to Dave Ramsey. Oh, Dave Ramsey, that's right. Yeah. I like the TED Talks. Sometimes I'll listen to Jen ha- uh, Jen Hatmaker's For the Love podcast. And yeah, I like her. I'm going to bring it back to dogs for a minute. Um, Catherine Schwarzenegger has this this podcast that I want to say is co-sponsored by Pedigree, and it is called The Dog That Changed Me. And it's just so cool because Aww. it's just people on there talking about, you know, their experience with kind of their that dog that kind of made them a dog person or sort of talking yeah. about themselves or was with them through a really like pivotal moment in their life. And it's it's really great. And it's just, you know, something just a lighthearted little little tidbit. I don't know. I like it. Oh, that's cool. You got a lot of interesting stuff going on there. I like, so I, I like, I watch too much TV. I just have all the things going on. All the things. So can you tell us about a time when you didn't have a clue about what you're doing or that you, you made some sort of major mistake and. Yes. Every day of my life. (laughs) Um, (laughs) No. So this again is so random and echoing of your previous interview with your friend, Lindy, but I kind of went into college having no clue of what I wanted to do or really even, I think the main problem was I just didn't know myself. I didn't know who I was. And so I didn't know kind of what appealed to me and what my true interests were or true kind of passions would be. And so I started out at OU and I I loved my classes. I love my professors. I absolutely hated going to school there. I'm sorry. (laughs) Oh, no. So sorry. And it was nothing about like the school itself. It was just, I think, the amount of people. And it was such a massive experience. I think I graduated with like 98 people total wow. um, from high school. And so then to go from- Oh, that, I graduated with eight. Right. So then I went to OU and I'm like crossing the crosswalk from the dorms with more people than were in my like whole high school. You know what I yeah. mean? And so it was just a big, a big, big change. Right. Yeah. And so I just, I don't know. I, I would go and I would take a class and I'd be like, oh, yeah, this is what I'm interested in. I'm, I'm going to study this. And then, you know, next semester would come along and I would take another class, totally different random right. elective or something. I'm like, no, this is what I'm going to do. You know what I mean? And so I was just very much like, what is that cartoon where they're like, squirrel, squirrel? Like, that's what I was like with, with yeah. majors in college. And so I did sort of go down all these random roads and I did that for like seven years, honestly. And I that really also was a time where like I kind of was – tough on myself because I was like, you know, all these people, they're graduating in four years or five years. They're getting, you know, these grown-up jobs. They're getting married. They're doing this. They're doing that. And, you know, why I can't even pick a major, you know? And so so that – it was a long winding road to get to, to get to finishing my undergrad degree. Right. And it was great. Okay. And I at this point, I wouldn't change anything about it. But at the time, you definitely are like, what am, what am I even doing? Like, yeah. what is this colossal – just disaster that I have made my life into. But just kind of what I can tell you about that is just lean into it. Lean into it. Like, lean into the chaos. Right. Honestly, because <laughs> if you, I mean, if you can't completely upend your situation anyway, you know what I mean? Like if you are, as they say in Pine- Pineapple Express, if you're in the dumpster already, then just yeah. lean into it and like learn as much as you can and about yourself, about what you're studying, whatever, and then go on from there. Awesome. I like it. What makes you laugh your ass off? So many things, <laughs> honestly. I just, British t- 
television makes me laugh so much. Unpopular opinion. I just think they're better at TV than we are. They're better at crime dramas. They're better at mysteries. They're better at uh, regular drama. They're better at, honestly, all those things. Um, And comedy. But I, I kind of like a bit more, like, sort of a wittier or a more, like, I don't know if highbrow is the right explanation of it, but I like a little bit more subtle kind of sneaky humor, if that makes sense. Like the slapstick stuff doesn't really do it for me. Right. Like no offense to Will Ferrell. And I do still love him in Step Brothers. I'm not a fan of Will I mean, I just, I appreciate what he's trying to do, but, but those subtle, like under the radar things that you almost miss. And then you're like, wait, they said what? Those are the things that, yeah, yeah. Those are the things that crack me up. And then, Honestly, just anything that has to do with like human experience and kind of stuff that we all experience in one way or another that like there's something terribly funny, but also very like comforting that whatever stupid disaster might be happening to me today (laughs) has also happened to you in some sort of comparable way. Um, I don't know. There's just something really amusing and I I like it. What uh, do you have any kind of embarrassing memory or moment when we work together or Um, something funny or something? just memorable that you can think of that so okay i i do this is so embarrassing um (laughs) and just super unprofessional and bad but first of all on a side note if you are not okay with acting like a complete fool in front of your students i don't even know what you're doing here you don't know yeah you you have to be you have to be confident in yourself because you have to be willing to be silly and goofy and off the rails sometimes because that Sometimes that really speaks to them. But as I mentioned earlier, (laughs) I used to work at the zoo. And so sometimes something we would be talking about would lead to some sort of random animal fact. And I'm all about like cultivating a new generation of conservationists at the same time Mm -hmm. as I'm teaching you English, um, just so that people are, you know, aware of the world around them and that we need to take care of stuff and not take it for granted kind of thing. So somehow we got on the subject of elephants. Um, Those are my favorite animal. I think they're amazing. And I was telling them about how they can pick up like a single Cheerio with their trunk because they are just so adept with that. And they have at the end of their trunk, what's called a prehensile tip. Okay. So Asian elephants have one, African elephants have two. Again, I could bore you to actual death with animal knowledge, but so I was trying to explain this to students and I, and also let me tell you, I am a garbage artist. I can barely draw a sick person. I don't know why I thought I could like illustrate this for them on the board. Oh no. And this but is, I did. these are sixth graders. They're sixth graders. Mm-hmm. And it's, yeah. and, and they're sixth graders that are like post Christmas break. Okay. <laughs> so they're not the sweet little precious no, just out of fifth grade angels no. that were that that would this might have gone unnoticed. Um, anyway, so yes, I decide in my infinite wisdom to draw this on the board for them, and to make it better, I've not just drawn the trunk, but then I'm drawing the ears as well. And oh, right, no. mm-hmm. and I am very close to the board so that I can see it to draw it. And so before I'm thankfully I'm still predominantly standing in front of it but I start to hear them giggle and I'm like what? what's so funny because you know if you're new to teaching and kids start laughing you're like oh crap like do I have a hole in yeah. my pants what's happening you right. know it could be anything and so before I turn all the way around I, I start to see what they see and I'm like oh what have I done what have I done I'm their parents are gonna call this is the worst I'm gonna be on the news oh my gosh 
And so thankfully I was like, okay, I could totally like crumple into a pile of embarrassment on the floor. Not a good plan. Um, So basically I was just like, and that's what the, and that's what it looks like. And I just like erased it as I turned around. So there was no time for them to fully behold the whole artistic masterpiece. So yes, that's easily the most embarrassing thing I've done in my classroom. That's awesome. And I, I'm glad you erased it before they had a chance to like somebody yes. somebody was going to pull out their phone and take a picture of that. Oh yeah. Oh oh yes. Teaching in the time of cell phone. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's a whole other. That's also a whole other topic that we could get on later. It is. So tell us, what is your vision for the next five years of your life? Um. Okay. So I feel like if 2020 has taught us anything, <laughs> it's that. Nothing goes according to plan. I don't know. I'm very, very content in my life right now. I'm very fulfilled by my job and very happy in my personal life. And so I think um, I think staying self-aware so that you could stay content without becoming complacent is a good sort of general goal to have. So it's a goal that I have. Um, but other than that, like you just you never know what life is gonna throw at you. So again, just lean into the chaos. Like even the things that are the most like hot mess disaster will will teach you things. And, and I don't know that my self 10 years ago would have agreed with me. So maybe it's my just old age. Maybe it's that, I don't know, old lady yeah. wisdom. I'm not sure. I think you learn more how to roll with things. Yeah. Yeah. Mean, we had the, the ice storm. And so my power was out for almost 12 days. And at the same time, I had to get all of the pipes in my house um, re- rerun, I guess. Oh, so it was just like all the things were going on at one time. And, and yeah. one of my coworkers was like, I'm sorry, how are you not freaking out about this? And I was like, well, again, maybe it's my old age, but like, I don't know how to fix the plumbing. I can't make the lights come back on. What right. I can control are these things over here. Like yeah. these are within my power. So these are where I'm going to devote my energy because freaking yes. out about those other things doesn't do any good. And honestly, it probably takes years off my life. So it's- you're right. You're absolutely right. That's definitely a good way to look at it because you control what you can. Right. But what you can't, you've got to let go and you've got to let something else or somebody else take care of that and not worry right. about it because it will just eat you alive. There's no point. Right. Absolutely. So. It just, it will steal your, your joy. And mm-hmm. I think that having, having that joy and having that gratitude is just so, so critical to long-term happiness or it is for me. Um, because, you know, life is short and it's hard and there's a lot of just ridiculous things that we can never possibly plan for or, or prepare for that we still have to deal with. And I mean, that looks like different things for different people, but there's always, 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 always some kind of something somewhere to be grateful about. There's something that you have that someone else would, would die to have. And so being kind of recognizing those things and having that gratitude, just, I think, helps me to stay centered and stay mentally with it, if you will. Yeah. Yes. Gratitude is huge, 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 huge. What's one thing that you would definitely like to leave with our listeners? Some kind of quote, because you gave us an awesome quote earlier, but I think you have another one, don't you? I do. And it's so long. Um, and, and I, I'm an English teacher, so words are my jam. And mm-hmm. I love quotes anyway. That's what, like my largest board on Pinterest is like, Good stuff other people have said, basically. And so one of my favorite poets, writers, 
general awesome dudes is um, Ralph Waldo Emerson. And he has this quote that I just feel like is a good kind of mantra for life. And it says, uh, to laugh often and much, to win the respect of the intelligent people and the affection of children, to earn the appreciation of honest critics and endure the betrayal of false friends, to appreciate beauty, to find the beauty in others, to leave the world a bit better, whether by a healthy child, a garden patch, or a redeemed social condition, to know that one life has breathed easier because you lived here. That is to have succeeded. Awesome. Just gets me it. in the feels every time. So good. So good. Do you have any contact information that you would like to share if anybody would like to get a hold of you? Maybe because there could be some other teachers out there that are not doing well. And I bet that they could get a lot of encouragement and help from you if that's possible, if, if that's something that you want to share. Yeah, that's fine. Um, as far as teacher encouragement, I will say if you are a user of Instagram, there are so many good teacher accounts out there where you will find encouragement, but you will also find reality. You will find um, people who are going to tell you like today was hard and it was yeah. a mess and it didn't go the way I planned and it's rough, but I'm, I'm going to go back tomorrow and do it again. Um, right. And so definitely search those things out. I have a, an Instagram. It's just Miss Hibden in the middle. I'm not promising like the wittiest content on the interwebs by any <laughs> means, but you're welcome to um, follow me there, send me a message there. If I can give you some encouragement, I'm happy to do so. Awesome. Casey, thank you so, so much for thank being you. here tonight. And it's so good to see you again. You too. I haven't seen you in over, no, well, about a year. Uh, since Dungeons and Dragons. Yes, since Dungeons and Dragons. And that's been almost a year, probably. Almost a year, I think. Yeah. I don't know. All my days run together, especially since I know, pandemic. they do. Pandemic days are not the same as regular days. So. No. If I had a dollar for every time this year, I had said, what day is it? Man. Oh, I know. Yeah. I could go on yeah. a nice trip when quarantine things end. And, and I've posted things on my private Facebook group, like, happy Tuesday. It wasn't Tuesday. Yeah. No, I get you. Something else, yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much, Casey. And I will talk to you soon. All right. Thanks. Talk to you soon. Right. Bye-bye. Bye. If you've been listening for a while, you know that I'm a big believer that using a vision board can be a great way to help you visualize where you want to go and who you want to be and can help you be intentional about walking in your purpose. Check out my mini course called Ignite Your Vision that will help you do just that. Go now to mandysawyer.com slash ignite. If one of your goals happens to be starting a podcast, then you should try out Buzzsprout. Buzzsprout gets your show listed on every major podcast platform. You'll get a great looking podcast website, audio players that you can drop into other websites, detailed analytics to see how people are listening, tools to promote your episodes, and a whole lot more. Just go to my affiliate link, mandysawyer.com slash buzzsprout. Following this link lets Buzzsprout know that I sent you and gets you a $20 Amazon gift card if you sign up for a paid plan and it helps support this show. Thanks for listening and remember to dream big and kick ass.